life is a bit like a you know classic analogy swimming against the stream in that if you push hard you can push against the current you can go forward but if you keep looking back or you just stop you're not going to remain stationary you're going to get you're going to keep going backwards you're not growing you're inevitably falling so we can use the past we can be inspired by the past we can gain from the past but not because we're trying to gain again as we were back then rather you know utilizing the past to enforce and help the present the best plan for the future it's all about you know looking forward welcome back to another episode of jtv podcast ollie thank you again for being here with me um today i want to speak about something that's been my mind because a couple of weeks ago i saw the brand new spider-man film and i thought of nothing else i'm perfectly honest with you and I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I think I spoke about it a lot on, my, on the first podcast, and I've peppered in a few Spider-Man lines in the podcast throughout. But one of the things I've been thinking about post this film is that this film came out, and it's uh, the ninth Spider-Man film to come out in my lifetime. And it features villains from the first three films and other characters and this, that, and the other. It came out at the same time as the fourth Matrix film, which came out about 18 years after the previous one. Uh, you were telling me earlier that you've not yet seen this 20th year anniversary Harry Potter special. To my shame. And there's so many more of these. Did you know? Remember the, the Toy Story films? They are making a film this year called uh, Lightyear, which is, you know, Buzz Lightyear, the, the toy? Sure. This is a film based on the story of the fictional real-life person who inspired the toy that came up in those films, which came out about 20 years ago, going to almost a few years ago. And it's, it's a fictional story. It's, it's a fi- yeah, it's a fictional astronaut, which they base this fictional toy on after the fact. Look it up, it's real. I'm saying wow. like there's a trailer and everything for it. This is really scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> but if you look it up, and I, I've seen this in films, but there's a wider popular culture and advertising as well in general, there's a real nostalgia bug that's going around culturally, especially in the West, and that's, it's quite fun. It means you get a Star Wars film uh, every other year, which was a laugh. Um, you're never that bored in the cinema. And it's, 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 it's fun. It's good, good fun. But I've been thinking about... Is there a wider thing going on here? Is there a wider sort of desire to go back in the past that films and TV and advertisers are trying to tap into for their commercial benefit? I don't blame them, quite frankly. I've never invested $200 million in a film, but I guess I you know, I, I prefer that I made some money on it. But is there a wider thing going on here? What is this human desire that we have to go back, to tap in again to these sort of childlike enjoyment fantasies and, and emotions that we crave so much and we, we always go back and again and again and again. What is that? And is it a wider thing? Does it creep into more areas in our lives? And then ultimately, how does that factor into our Jewish observance, our Jewish growth, our Jewish journeys, individually, communally? Can we get swept away with this nostalgia fever? Can we learn from it? Can we enjoy it? Is it not that much? Is there, is there, am I overthinking how much harm there could be in this? I say harm, by the way, because this is my fear going into this last Spider-Man film. I, I enjoy the films, and I thought they were just going to bring back all these old characters as a cheap, you know, gimmick, just to cash in on the buzz, to put them on the poster, so old fans or the old films will come in and, you know, cash, basically. Purely commercial, capitalistic gains. And I was quite, I was anxious going into the film, but the film worked because they didn't just take these characters and, you know, rehash them. They added them to a new narrative. They developed the plot of new characters further. It became more of a... It was a nice overarc... There was an arc to the story. It was a, it was a well-rounded story. And that put me at ease. I think... Think about that idea a bit more. My fear that they will just cheapen these old things. That they will go back to the past and try and recreate the magic and they wouldn't achieve it. And the only way they were able to achieve it is to create something new. Something, you know, over what they've done before is why the film worked. So, it's a long, rambling, rambling uh, build-up there about the films I've seen recently. But, tell me, Ollie, what do you think? Do you think this, this nostalgia bug is real? And do you think it's as widespread as I'm making it out to be? Look, first of all, it's pretty clear that that's the, that's the kind of the method that Hollywood is utilising at the moment, just uh, rehashing old successes. Um... Is there anything wrong with that? Well, it seems to be working to some extent from a business perspective. Um, is there anything wrong with that in terms of 
I can't see any clear moral issue with any of this. Um, uh, as long as, you know, the audience are in, enjoying the films and they're creating something that's uh, worthy of enjoyment. The question of why we, 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 we like to indulge in nostalgia and why we like to go back and create, you know, um, more films that are very much tied into or follow up from uh, films that are, you know, much loved from the past is I think it, a lot of it centers around escapism. Escapism ultimately is about going to when, when life is, is tough and rough, going to a place of comfort and safety and security. Um, and when you're watching films, a lot of people, they watch films from the past, especially that they watched when they were younger. They know it's something they enjoy. They associate it with times of, usually with times of safety or times of just happiness. And so it allows them to go back to, to, to in, into that into that space, and I think creating these new, you know new sequels or whatever, whatever they are is just another part of doing that. Um, is there anything wrong with that? There's I don't see anything morally wrong with that. Is there anything wrong with that from a creative perspective? Not necessarily, as long as it's um, an actual good piece of uh, cinema, um, but. The whole issue of escapism, you know, I've thought about about this issue as, as a moral question uh, a fair bit. There's a lot, especially in the in the religious world. Um, there's like they they there's a skepticism towards forms of escapism. Um, sometimes, it's, and I, I'm I'm not sure whether escapism is inherently. Um, unhealthy maybe signs it can be really healthy if life gets so difficult you need something to escape to um or to, to you need to shift feelings in some regard the concern is twofold the first level the concern is um that i've heard among religious and jewish leaders when it comes to escapism is that sometimes when you try to numb feelings and numb yourself from the wider world um and just indulge in you know nostalgia or whatever those kind of feelings are that that can you that can protect you um, the first concern is that, that that numbing of yourself could lead to even more unhealthy forms of escapism. You don't really need, need me to elaborate on what those kind of things could be. Um, but so so too much of that, too much of mindlessly staring into a screen um, or, you know, just endlessly going back to the same old things and same old, um, you know, becoming obsessed about a particular brand where you just devote too much time that that's always the concern um but as i say on the other hand it can i think it can be if if done in moderation it can be a, a lovely addition to life you know the arts and cinema but that's always just the concern that i found among religious people and on, a, on a, either even deeper level the deeper level of concern with escapism generally is that that shouldn't be one's main port of call when they need an emotional refuge it shouldn't be to numb oneself to remove all emotion to escape to just blot out all your thoughts and just completely um you know uh dive into uh you know a totally different altered reality um it's actually to get more in touch with reality is the jewish view generally again i'm not against escapism but they say as a general principle the most important thing your most important refuge should not be escapism because it won't bring us happiness you're just numbing yourself the most important thing really has to be tapping into what really is true because actually often we want to escape because we think the reality is bad but judaism wants us to 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 become sensitized to the fact that reality is actually good and that even though things may be difficult in and of at a, at a moment in time, we believe that God only does good, and that over a lo longer arc of history and of our lives, things can well change and move um, only in in a positive um, direction. Um, and so, and I think that, by the way, is one of the reasons why Judaism has a a, a tolerant and, and in some ways encouraging view of alcohol, but not when it comes to drugs, because alcohol is not about is is, is less. Well, it is about escapism in many ways, but in moderation, it's just about it's not it doesn't necessarily alter one's reality in terms of their mind, whereas drugs do um, in moderation. 
alcohol just releases one's in one's inhibitions again in moderation whereas drugs actually alter your state of mind and for judaism we're all about we shouldn't want to we shouldn't be scared of confronting reality the most important refuge should be reality itself which is god and that doesn't need to be something that, that should be shut away from that's got what god desperately craves more than anything else is for him to be our source of ultimate um refuge and um shepherding yeah i think it's very true storytelling has been around since the dawn of time itself and one of the appeals of storytelling i think why it's, it's so powerful is stories allow us to, to live vicariously through an external situation and we can empathize and relate and grow in a way now modern day stories often can rely more on, on flashiness and spectacle but the ones that really stick by are the ones that teach us lessons that we and, and the torah is filled with narratives of our biblical figures and the torah is not necessarily a history book nor is it necessarily a legal book it's a instructions for living it's a instructions of a, of a moral guide and a lot of jewish learning the talmud is also pe- filled with stories and, and narratives throughout to teach us lessons so the idea of having a, a narrative and, and and stories is, is no way at all uh problematic with judaism but it's all as you said it's about the main focus and escapism like all things in, in moderation sleep is is a, nece- a necessity for you to, to live eating is a necessity is, is well, he's all necessities but as Rav Noach Weinberg who Rashi of Aish used to say are you living to eat or are you eating to live where's your focus Where, where's your your main drive here we need time to relax and to unwind and recover but it's a means to an end yes as that's opposed, the key yeah. point yeah but I, I, I was thinking more of within the world of these nostalgic films or films touching to nostalgia as a um, sort of a, as an analogy to how we take on new challenges as is it's very brave for a film studio to invest a lot of money into a brand new idea uh as it always has been because you know commercially you don't know the film could be brilliant but it could be a bomb at the box office and lose millions and millions hundreds of millions of dollars however a spider-man film can be rubbish but people will flock to see it anyway and you'll make a profit regardless but in all terms of development, storytelling and scientific development, to be radical, to take risks, to push the boundaries, is the only way that you truly will create something that's new and spectacular. When Star Wars came out, what, 30, 40 years ago, those sort of forms of special effects, and to, they called it a space opera, was revolutionary. Now a film of that sort of genre is it's, its own genre. It's quite, you know, normal. It's in that own little box. It's not that groundbreaking. And I'm sure for every single Star Wars, there are dozens and dozens of failures as well. But it's the, the reliance of the film industry to only go back to the tried and tested formulas and to rehash old films and old ideas, just also, you know, to make a James Bond type film instead of creating something brand new, is if that idea was taken further and applied to how we act as individuals, can be quite dangerous. True growth it requires you to, to try new things and fail. And through those failures, learn more lessons and eventually succeed. But if you just go and again and again and again and regurgitate the previous successes, you cheapen those successes, and the new successes you're making there aren't really that significant. Because great, you've made a, you know, a 14th Star Wars film and it made money. But that's not really impressive. It's not really an achievement. My fear about nostalgia is not so much the film industry. They can do what they like. It's a business at the end of the day. But I question is, do they focus on this nostalgic element because it, it works to make money? Or are they almost subconsciously tapping into a desire that we have that we really, really want to go and to relive those old experiences? Advertisers are, are, use this intensely. Most adverts nowadays on TV or reference an old TV character, or an old song, or you know, parodying this, that, and the other, because it, it grabs our attention, and they're they're trapped. They're trying to jump onto those emotions that we had back then to sell their product now. And advertising can be very sort of manipulative and troubling at times. But are they tapping into something that is deep inside of us? 
is it something as simple as we just like seeing Star Wars again, or is it something that we we all crave going back to a simpler time? Look what we're up to right now. We are in 2022. This pandemic, we're still in it. So like in many ways, we still, we still are. It's still the news every single day has been going on for, we're pushing close to two years now. And people will reminisce about the good old days when you don't have to fear about shaking someone's hand or you can go to the theatre without taking a lateral flow test beforehand. The good old days before social media or internet or constant this, that and the other consumption. When people had face-to-face conversations. We like to reminisce about the glory days. But is that helpful? So, can I go? So, I think... As with so many things in Judaism, balance is 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 such an important value. Um, with with every single character, almost every single character trait, almost every single principle, um, being balanced um, is the name of the game in Judaism. It's so much of life you require balance. You know, to cook a meal. You know, if you cook, put it on the stove for too not enough time, it'll be raw. If you put it for too long, it'll be overcooked. Um, although that happened, that's strangely how my mum likes it. Done. I have no idea why. <laughs> she literally says to the waiter, she she says, "You see my black shirt that I'm wearing? I want the meat to look like this." I like mum. You're anyway weird, weird, <laughs> weird, mum. Um, but anyway, never choose your family. Uh, oh no, she's the best. Um, but um, balance is really essential, and in Judaism. We have this beautiful balance between looking back and remembering, but also taking it and moving forward and writing a new chapter. It's not, you don't have to choose between being nostalgic and uh, being totally progressive, facing forward and revolutionizing everything. Judaism is evolutionary, not revolutionary um, in the way that it the Jewish people and, and, and Judaism and Halakha and the way we adapt to each situation that we're in. Um, you know, truth will main, can, can be absolute over time, but the way we we, we work and, and move is essential. And part of the way we move forward is remembering the past and knowing the past. So much of, um, so much of, of uh, Jewish practice, we invoke, we say, you know, Zeche Litziat Mitzrayim, um, you know, in remembrance of the exodus from Egypt, when we, you know, when we're doing the Kiddush cup, um, when we're, you know, it's written in our in our tefillin and our mezuzahs, um, we remember who we are. Remember, we we constantly invoke and remind ourselves of where we've come from, what we're about. Um, it's essential. But then the question is, well, what do you do with that? We don't just stand still. Then we don't. We go and do a mitzvah. We would go and make and make our worlds. Um, a better, more, more, more whole, um, and so nostalgia um, is, in some ways, not just uh, you know a nice thing to do. It's actually incredibly important to know. You know, the word we have for history in Hebrew, we don't have a word really for his, history. The, they created in modern Hebrew historia, um, but because history implies something very depersonalized, objective, it's his story. It's very, it's about him. Whereas we, the word we use is yizkor, memory. We have a national collective. Memory is personal. It's within us. It's we have it. It's something that's part of us. Part of what shapes my memory is what shapes who I am, and it's good and it's important. You know, I have on my um, desk a pebble from the 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 ruins of the, an Auschwitz gas chamber, um, that you know. Every day, just for, just instills in me uh, so many values that life is short. That what, what you know, what I'm here for, who I am, where I've come from, how lucky I am to be to be alive, um, to be a Jew. Um, so, but but then so then it's a question of what 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 do we do with that? Some people, some people's Judaism, unfortunately, are just and solely about the past, and or about worrying about what could happen based on our past, right? It's just about um, Holocaust and defending Israel. I'm not saying those things that Holocaust education, defending Israel are essential. Um, But sometimes if one's identity is entirely based around just fear and paranoia, 
because of what's happened to us in the past, that can also be um, um, uh, destructive. So it's there's got to be a balance between being forward-looking, being innovative, um, but the way you actually make your decisions on how you move forward can be... Um, uh, um, what's the word? Informed. Exactly, informed from, from the, your past. Yeah. It's also worth noting that the um, the daily Jewish cycle or structure, mm-hmm. or the yearly Jewish cycle, or just the general Jewish calendar in general is is, is peppered with um, repetition. Yeah. We, we pray thrice daily, three times a day, and the word, uh, we repeat certain prayers, some even in the same service. Mm. We repeat a lot. But what the, but the point is here yeah. is that this all this repetition and reminding ourselves is not to escape and stay in the past it's so that we hold on to those things and re- cling to ourselves remember who we are and then move forward yeah it's like you know the reason why we're meant to be davening on a regular basis praying to god on a regular basis because you can so easily god consciousness can so easily slip away and mm. it can stop being at the forefront of your mind but i'm saying there are two tiers to it on the one hand the repetition is just constantly bringing us back to the flame recharging us mm-hmm. but what makes this year's Rosh Hashanah different to last year's? What makes it this year's Passover different to last year's? We have an opportunity at every single new time we go over the cycle to enhance and build upon what we achieved in, in the year gone by. Yeah. The Passover Seder is a clear example of this because we tailor a lot of the Seder night to the children, to educating the children, forcing them to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. But the hope is that the question that your five-year-old gives one year, well, the level of the questions will be greater the next year and the next yeah. year and the next year. Yeah. And... Every single year is an opportunity to go back, revisit what we've done before, and build upon it. Yeah. Not just, you know, to make sure I do still remember the facts and the figures that we went across last year. It's not revising for a test. Yeah. Rather, it's building. The repetition is, is intrinsic and obvious, because otherwise, what would be the purpose of saying the same things over again and again and again, if not to create and generate something new and revolution- evolutionary? And isn't it interesting that the Jewish year begins... There's two New Years. There's the well, there's New four, Year for Humanity. Well, there's four. Okay, fine. But according, the New Year for Humanity is Rosh Hashanah, but the New Year for the Jewish people begins in Nisan. Mm-hmm. And Passover, which is the holiday of Nisan, um, is all about, well, a lot of it is about teaching our kids and ourselves where we came from. Right? What we're about. And that's sort of the looking back so to speak and nostalgia and reinforcing that but then we go through the year and we end the year what's the last festival of the year before passover comes along purim Purim, right purim is that's an interesting one purim is in many ways much more of a future oriented festival why it is something about what happened in the past but it's actually about how we achieved in many ways what passover what god set us set out for us at mount sinai uh was all about and it's a template i think purim is a template in many ways for the coming of moshiach wait explain how, how and i'll explain was, i'll yeah. explain that i'll Please. explain that this is this is my theory okay um but what I'm but the the point I'm getting at is that we start the, off the year with looking back at the past and finish the year by accomplishing by by taking what we 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 learned and remembering who we were and moving forward and and achieving our purpose. Um, don't forget, Purim is described by some of the Kabbalists as the holiest day of the year. It's described as the day when we accepted the Torah out of love, mm-hmm. whereas when it was Mount Sinai, it was out of fear. These are big statements. Um, in fact, the, the the Talmud tells us that in times to come, in the times of Mashiach, all the festivals will go away. That all the books in Tanakh, the the prophets will go away. There won't be any need for them anymore. But one festival will remain. You know which one that is? Let me guess. Purim. Giving you build up here. <laughs> um, no, it's actually um, uh, Tisha B'Av. No, I'm kidding. Oh um, yeah, it's Purim. And uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, why? What, I mean, what's so essential about that? So Purim, you have, a, you have a, a time where, I mean, the whole book of Esther, God's, God isn't mentioned once. It's telling us that 
this is a time where you didn't have open miracles, where the Jewish people were threatened with annihilation, where things looked doomy and gloomy, and also where the Jewish people were not united, and they'd strayed a little bit from their core values. And really, it's setting, Purim is setting the stage, it's training us for the era in which open miracles come to an end and we then face our exile because it was a, it was a time it was in persia you know it was a time where the jews were in exile it's it's set in the stage it's, it's a training for the exiled jew who spends the rest of his history until Moshiach comes in a time where we often face persecution where we can be disunited where we often lose our sense of um who we are uh, or well from time to time and yet, what happens? In the end, the Jewish people reunite. They rediscover their themselves identity. They, you know, they do teshuva. They fast. They pray. And in the end, everything and, and it's without any open miracle. They turn to Hashem through their own volition, through their own free will, without any big fireworks and display at Mount Sinai. They, they they do it, and then suddenly they see what is in many ways a greater miracle than an open miracle. They see all the events that they thought were leading to their destruction completely turn on their head, which is in many ways an even greater masterpiece by God than just you know a splitting of the sea or a turning the waters to blood. Because even the thing, even the things that you thought were just the derech hatever, the, the natural ways of the world, were actually all precisely engineered, bit by bit, stage by stage, to play almost a practical joke on the Jewish people's enemies, where the very, the very gallows that Haman hung to hang his enemies on, he hung him, him hung himself on, where the very, you know, um, uh, royal um, uh, chariots that he wanted to be um you know uh, driven around in the end Mordechai was and so what happens on Purim is you have in many ways it's a microcosm of the Jewish people achieving what God wanted from us which was to remember who we are to remember where we where we came from what our mission was to to be a people that choose Hashem even amidst darkness even amidst seeming peril even when there is an open of miracles and we did that in many ways by re in fact isn't it interesting that when was it that the, that the jewish people were told to fast and pray that esther said please can you fast and pray before i go into the palace you know when it was in the canon date yeah this is really interesting i do know this actually but it, it was a jewish festival i can't remember which one it was, it was, pa it was pesach yeah, yeah. And isn't that interesting? They were told to fast on a festival. Ordinarily, one's not allowed to fast. Yeah, right? but is I mean, you can create your own fast during the, during the week if, if for certain reasons, but you can't fast on certain festivals or eulogize and yet. Right, but what I'm saying is, yeah. isn't it interesting that the festival that I just said about is about reconnecting to our past, mm -hmm. who we are? That's when they fasted. That's when they repented. And so, so they, had, they had to go very deep into yeah, who they were before. Exactly. Before and so the reason why. Redeemed. Exactly. And so I think the reason why Purim is this eternal festival for us is because it's about recognizing that really miracles, no miracles, open miracles, it's all, it's all God. And what God really wants from us, wants from humanity, is that we choose him when he's not um, obviously uh, present in the way that he was in, in Egypt. And that is a far greater miracle of human beings and amazing uh, f feat for us to be able to trust Hashem and cling to Hashem, remember who we are amidst seeming um, uh, peril, darkness, or just uh, randomness. And so, therefore, Purim, I think, is the, in some ways the climax of the Jewish uh, year. And it's, you know, we set out with Pesach, is, Hashem is uh, doing all the work for us. And Purim, is a geula, a redemption, where we did the work, where we extended our hand back to him. And so therefore, I think the point that I'm getting at is that we start the year by looking back and we end the year by now we do our part, we move forward and we do our bit. 
So therefore, all just comes back to balance. You need both. Both both is needed. Yeah, both are necessary. Yeah, you can't achieve the final independence without the spoon feeding out of your hand held at the start. Exactly, exactly. And it was spoon feeding. It yeah. was. But then, in that regards, you, using that lens, looking back at the past and one's personal life and one's trying to tap into previous experiences. Mm. There's a benefit to it to to completely neglect them to go. I'm no longer that person anymore. I no longer need to be inspired by the revelations of things I learned when I was a a teenager or a child because I'm an adult now and I I, I should be fighting my own journeys is naive and, and almost a waste. Every single stage in a person's own journey or in the Jewish history's journey is necessary. There's a reason why we had to be slaves in Egypt. There's a reason why we needed open miracles for that generation. There's a reason why we need to close miracles for the story of Purim to happen. There's a reason why every single thing in major, or well, everything in Jewish history had to happen to those people at that time. They were necessary. And we shouldn't be expecting or complaining or what have you about not having the same experiences nowadays. Ah, if we had open miracles nowadays, we wouldn't. We, we'd be so much greater. If we had a Rashi alive in our generation, we'd be a greater nation. If we had Moses, Moshe alive, if we think like that, then we're missing the boats. They were necessary then, not just for that moment, but they're necessary for us now as well, as long as we use them as stepping stones, as fun, foundations, fundamentals to evolve us further. The Jewish nation we looked at as one sort of eternal eternal but li- long living entity that needed to go through the trials and tribulations and is still growing still progressing still gaining we are not weaker now than we are than we were before we are just we are different in one's personal life we can often have you know experiences you know that pivotal experience in our lives where we felt clarity in a certain area we, we felt immense closeness to god People when they do um, trips to Poland or they spend time learning in Israel in very illuminating environments, and they will try and you know tap back into those environments, visit again, or go through the photos or read the stories. Now there can be a frustration there because you'll never fully understand and get to that moment. But one of the reasons will be is a you can't always relive something in its entirety for a snapshot. Mm-hmm. But more the reason that you enjoy that or got so much out of that moment right then and there from that Poland trip ten years ago. Is because at that moment, that's what you needed. The person you were then was needed that experience to get to that level. Now, ten years on, you can't relive it because you don't need that experience anymore in the same to achieve the same goal. And to re- think about it, any sort of um, book that you've read with a big twist at the end, which you reread again after knowing the twist, you can't undo that. You can't read the book again and then be shocked at the end who the murderer was because you knew the whole. You'll see it from a different lens, fine, but you you can't re get, re you know achieve that that journey. But that's the point. It's not about trying to relive it again because you know to get that easy win again. Rather, that's been achieved. That level's been unlocked. What's next? How can we go higher and greater and, and, and mightier? Because that's it's scary because it it, take, it involves taking risks and making oneself vulnerable and and trying new things and you risk failure which is incredibly you know frightening but the flip side is you also risk growing and gaining and that's what life is the fear about keep going to looking back and looking back and looking back is life is a bit like a you know the classic analogy swimming against the stream in that if you push hard you can push against the current you can go forward but if you keep looking back or you just stop you're not going to remain stationary. You're going to get. You're going to keep going backwards. If you're not growing, you're inevitably falling. So we can use the past. We can be inspired by the past. We can gain from the past, but not because we're trying to gain again as we were back then. Rather, you know, utilizing the past to enforce and help the present, the best plan for the future. It's all about you know looking forward. I think Rabbi Sachs frequently spoke about it, that the Jewish people are unique in that we're a forward-thinking nation. We don't try and reachieve, reclaim the glory years of years gone by. We believe our best years are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a third temple, a new redemption. We're looking for the Messiah. We're not. We're not looking backwards. We're not looking for a day being ruled by King David once again. While we're, going, we're pushing forward to a new age, a new messianic era exactly. of greater clarity. Now. We're looking for that. The question is, why do we need all the stuff in the past? It's necessary. 
Everett Sanderson is a necessary part of the puzzle that is going to get us to this final goal. But so it's, it's, got right, a it's, like, it's like painting a picture. You don't just stop there and keep looking at the parts, the three quarters that you've done. Hmm. But you still need that three quarters there. But it's so easy to look back, though. It is and a complacency, so I find, is very easy to, to, to trick it into. Especially when you're... Personally, I've seen this, but I've seen a lot of people where in a situation where there's a lot of hostility or, you know, the person's not necessarily... Um, they haven't found their, their, their bubble or their level of religiousness or, or learning and this, that and the other that when there's a lot of, you know, fighting against them, they find it easier to push forward, to keep fighting. Then there's a moment when you kind of, you get a level of clarity and comfort. You've, you've found your place, your bubble, your community. And you're happy with it. You're proud of it. You, you, you take a step back and like, look what I've made. I've made this wonderful life myself. And yet, the, the you know, you've still got more years to live. The game's not over yet. And it's not, you're not meant to sit back on the couch and just, you know, Look upon what you created. You've got to keep growing, keep building. You know, you can have another stage, like another stage, like the year after, and is yours going to be greater next year than it will be this year? Are you going to keep, you know, pushing your level of learning and spirituality? Are you going to accept that you've peaked at this point and you've done all the work? Because admittedly, if you look at, if you think about, you know, our simple life and the lens of God's all-knowing plan, if we have peaked, if we have achieved, we need to achieve. Then there's no point in us still being alive. So that by, you know, as morbid it sounds, the fact that we're not dead yet, we've always got more work to do. Complacency can be very, very tricky because in a place of comfort, in a place of... When you've achieved great things, and I'm not trying to neg you know, negate those, just to sit back on one's personal empire is, is, can be weak. But it's easy, it's, it's exciting, and it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like falling. Mm. You spoke a bit about, you know, Jewish education and people learning and also being complacent. One of the things that irked me a lot, irks me a lot, is that people, especially I find people that tend to be a little bit more alienated with religious Judaism, whether they became more alienated or they just never really sparked much interest in them, is because a lot of people will sort of go to like a cheder outside of, especially if they go to a non-Jewish school, mm. um, until they're, you know, like bar mitzvah age. And they'll just stop there. And the problem is, and I'm not just talking about these people, people can end up having very immature, um, uh, you know, stagnant view of Judaism, Jewish stories. It can just sound very childish. It can sound, uh, you know, completely um, fantastical and just very hard to relate to. Um, and this is, uh, for me, exceptionally tragic because there's just so much depth, wisdom, and beauty and and so one of the dangers of you know we talk about nostalgia and complacency sometimes people they're just their judaism can be nothing more than just well just quite nostalgic you know in terms of just basically certain cultural foods reading the certain uh jewish stories or whatever or the pasta meals but it's all just very oh this is cute mm. you know that's always bugged me no it's not just cute <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people feel that way it's just cute you know, they just think it's a nice, cute, cultural thing. And one of my biggest life missions is well, to share with others what I've, the things that I've learned and discovered, which is that every single Jewish ritual and every single story in the Torah, actually, first of all, so much of the time, they don't make sense <laughs> at face value. And, it's, and when you ask those questions, that's, you can either say, well, this doesn't make sense, so therefore it's just a load of nonsense or this doesn't make sense let's dig a little bit deeper and you can then find through those questions the most unbelievably profound brilliant answers that um can change your life and have done so for me whether it's understand how do we make sense of adam and eve sinning after one hour in the garden of eden how do we make sense of god telling abraham to sacrifice his son how do we make sense of the the jews they come out of the the you know all the miracles in 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 in, in egypt the sea splits within a few days oh where's the water we're we gonna do where, uh, you know is god gonna provide for us like calm down like okay here's the water right okay we want meat now where's the meat we, where, like, can you relax like how do we make sense of this they've just seen all these miracles 
and it's so easy just to shrug your shoulders or just to you know take a very shallow view of it if you dig deeper the thing that always bothered me is that there's actually s such incredible depth and and, and uh, wisdom uh just lurking there but some people and this is where nostalgia or um just kind of complacency can, can be really bad um people end up having a judaism that's just you know just very cute mm. and that's not sustainable that, like that's it, it really be unsustainable long term because kids aren't going to respect it and there's no and it's not going to be that important or essential to them this is an element of my life that's cute cute is com can be compromised though true and essential and deeply profound moral and, and my moral compass that's you're not going to compromise on <laughs> um, and that's what i mean this is what i dedicate my life to and you seem to be as well that's lucky to you but I, I have found this i found this myself that sometimes almost these childish things or child simplistic versions of, of Torah that we learn as kids when we try and readdress those sort of topics and learn again at an, an older age they can be obstacles because we'll read sort of stories in, in the Bible and Torah and they won't instantly align themselves with what we learn as a kid so we'll try and you know f fit that square into a circle try and fit it to make fit our sort of simplistic version of events and therefore we're less open to learn about the, the greater depth and wisdom and and the the necessity of the nuance within the text well this is exactly where i'm saying that uh, nostalgia just being stuck in the past can be bad open yourself up to to, to re reimagining re-examining and by the way I, I personally find doing that exhilarating yeah and exciting and i, I don't think too. it's about i don't think it's uh, should be something that people are, are likely going to shy away from if anything, broadening your horizons is rediscovering things. For me, it's like I, there's nothing more exciting than someone saying, showing me a verse in the Torah and then saying, you know, actually, if you read the text here, it's actually not even clear that the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. True. It's actually not even clear. It doesn't necessarily imply that Rivka told Yaakov, Jacob, to declare that he is Esau, Esau to his father, to his father, she never told him to do that. True, but yes, but there's a lot to it. There's a, there's a lot. Of, of course, stuff. a lot to it. There's there's a, there's something she, she doesn't did. not either. No, she doesn't not either. But but what does that mean? What's that telling us? Yeah. There's. Oh, I mean, I, we, we, I could give you a twenty minute thing on this, but <laughs> the point is, that's exciting to suddenly realise you need the basic. If you don't have the basic childlike story, that you need that as a foundation just to understand the framework of, okay, what's broadly going on here? So it's fine, and that is necessary. And also kids can't always handle deep, complex, nuanced ways of looking at things. But then you just the point is you can't just stop there. If nothing else, because the story has so much more depth than your it's 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 just selling um, it short. You're selling it short. You're just it's it's just it's not right. Um and so this is one thing that um for me is a, a real calling creating much more religious textual Torah lit literacy when it comes to and i don't mean that literally because my hebrew isn't that great <laughs> but um i mean that in terms of um Just, you know, giving it the resp giving it the, exactly giving it the respect that it, it, it has deserves. been navigated well practically as well because the, the level of stories you'll learn as, as a child in Cheda, you're taught to level because that's the most a eight-year-old could handle. Fair enough. No one's blaming the teacher there. Yeah. But now when you look back at it as a, an adult with um, a great understanding of, of intellect and knowledge and, and, and learning, to open up that rabbit hole of in, almost being seemingly infinite depth can be quite overwhelming because you could spend a good few hours looking at one verse in the Torah, uh, but there are hundreds of, not thousands of verses in the Torah. But this is why you need teachers. There's so many great teachers out there mm. who who do who do this that that package things, package talks and ideas, and 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 and, and then once perhaps we progress to that, then you can also start mm. asking your own questions and building your own things. You know, just because there's endless opportunities doesn't mean you can't start somewhere. Yeah, no, for sure. I wouldn't want to push push anyone off. It's 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 exhilarating and it's exciting. And there's, there's, there's a level you can get to where if you go down one certain area, it's, um, the style of learning I was used to in Israel, in, in Shiva, was you go through certain uh, books on a more 
often, but to the time it was a more brisk pace covering a lot of ground. In other areas, you go into great depth. And whilst you'd only go into one small, one page of piece of Talmud in great depth for months on end, you could put together that if you can see that much depth in one page, and I'm covering dozens and dozens of pages at a, brisk, at a breakneck speed, then surely every single page I cover has this much amount of depth. And therefore, just inherently, you'll become aware of the great wisdom and nuance and, and detail and, and relatability that all of Torah has without ever having to, or without yet having to come across all of it. You can gain that appreciation of this divine wisdom yeah. by just scratching the surface. Yeah. But again, you have to be open there to be aware that there's so much more out there. Yeah. And being happy that and okay that there's only so much you can achieve right now and you can see yourself achieving in, in the near future, but that's okay because it's all part of the necessary journey. It's all necessary to you right now. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, if you were just sort of like a hard drive to load into an average person the USB stick of the greatest depths of Torah, it, it wouldn't, it's interesting to say, it wouldn't necessarily feel applicable because that might be not what the person needs at that moment. Because everything they've gained to that point is it should be necessary to be shaping the next stage. I mean, I remember when I learned maths in school that every single new topic we would cover was simply just building a concept that we've done before. And if you skipped a lesson, if you skipped a term, skip the year of maths in school, you could not do it. In other subjects, you could. In history, you could just skip an era and fill in the gaps. But the maths, it was, it was net, the logical of the things you would learn would be net based upon and, you know, necessary. And it only could be learnt if you understood the topics that came prior. Mm. In fact, I once saw it, so I think it's a TED Talk from the guy who created, have you ever heard of Khan Academy? It's like an online no. uh, maths tutoring thing. No. It's kind of... Maybe only aimed for high schoolers, but his his idea was most people aren't bad at maths. They think they're bad at maths because they do badly in school, but they were just they weren't properly taught the concepts up to that point. So they make this mistake to think that they are not a maths person. Reality, I'm objectively bad at maths, but okay, <laughs> I'll put that to the test. <laughs> but it, it's it's that it's it's about don't sell yourself short. That everything that you know, it's all accessible. It's all there. We can gain and grow so much more in our, our, our learning and our, our personal development. But we have to be open to trying the new experiences and to find them hard and to go back and learn things again and reinforce them to go greater and greater and greater. Alternatively, we can shy away from it, switch on the TV, escape back into the idea of escapism into concepts that we've learnt beforehand. To reread things that we've already read once before because we enjoyed it back then and now we understand them more and that's great and it's, it's comfortable, it's comfort food almost but how much greater would we be if we dared a little and try something new again always comes back to balance because there is a a, a, a value in chazara and reviewing reminding Absolutely, yourself of course yeah yeah um, but then there's a question of okay now let's go a step deeper but the Talmud writes about how it's incomparable the person who will learn a piece a hundred times to the person who will learn it a hundred and one times yeah exactly because repetition and to revise over what you've learned before has immense value but part of the reason but part well part of the reason isn't just so you reinforce it's also because every time you, it's like when people will watch a film again or read a book again they'll notice something new yes or they'll ask a question and say oh hold on and they'll actually reframe the way they're so sometimes repetition for the sake of understanding and, and moving to a higher level so that's, I think, the you thing... You have to accept that you haven't accomplished it by watching it or reading it the first time. Yeah. That you've only taken something away from... Yeah. I, I've read a lot of books where, they, you know, someone's written deep ideas for hundreds of pages and I, I've left, you know, knowing bits of them. Right. <laughs> Not because I didn't understand the book, it's just because, you know, your brain only takes in so much. Right. How about if I reread the books again and again and again and again, I would get steps closer to the actual... Yeah knowledge that the person's trying to yeah. pass in, in no ultimately we read the Torah every year we go through the whole Torah every year and yeah, I, th- I think the point we're, we're getting at is that Judaism sees history and sees growth as a um, a spiral mm-hmm. so you're going in a circle the whole time but each time you're going higher and higher and higher so you're revisiting but you're, do- you're doing it for a purpose not to stay in one place to escape to remain to comfort but really just to take it keep it and go 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 even higher and um in many ways, relationships are like that. Um, um, you know, it's about and 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 that's our way of of tapping into eternity and and you know and God really because ultimately our spirit and our soul and God is outside of time. 
And the whole point of what we're doing is we're, we're, we're sort of trying to mesh past, present and future in this experience. Um, and that really is the experience of Olam Haba, the world to come. It's, a, it's an experience of uh, the past and the present, the future molding into one and sort of becoming more and more enmeshed with one another as we transcend finiteness and connect more to to the infinite. So I think the main thing we've got from this is that looking back is not just okay and fine. It's 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 important when it comes to one's own identity, when it comes to one's own learning, when it comes to uh, Judaism. But it's 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 a it's a means to an end, um, and so escapism is another thing as opposed to looking back, but. The, the principle there is one of moderation because Judaism doesn't see um, escapism as the most beneficial and healthy way to um, improve one's mental health and one's mental and spiritual well-being. Mm. They say it. Judaism says actually no. Tap into deeper reality because you're really just numbing the pain whereas connecting with um, with reality uh, should alter your understanding or perspective of the reality that you're in. So if you're looking at every single stage with the uh, the lens of how do I improve and grow and gain from it, so looking back or not getting too involved into escapism, then you're saying that that would um, be the, the Jewish way of looking at it. Constantly pushing forward and growing and gaining from everything at our disposal past the present i was making a distinction between the escapism of films and movies and the looking back of what we do in judaism which is yeah, remembering things. the moderation only works if it's like i say you need to sleep so therefore you can be awake yeah there's a merit to escapism but the merit only comes if it assists everything else and everything absolutely else is the growth yeah. and the gains and the yeah so, yeah i'm saying like if it's, it's if you're absolute of it then it doesn't work at all. yeah i can you know harry potter can be a nice escapism for me and but if i end up making every single, you know, working out of my life about it and, you know, being on every single way? meme page and uh, buying every single merchandise. And but that's how they get you. Obsessive. That's why they put out a 20th year anniversary special. So you watch the old films again and buy all the toys again and read the stuff okay, again. Okay, you could say a say about dr- drinking alcohol. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not. Do it in moderation. You, are, by the way, you, you know. go to you go to extreme the other way in, in suppressing things as well. You let often people end up pushing back the swinging all the way back the other way to a far higher extreme, um, which is why it's probably encouraged to let kids try wine at the table, you know, from from a fairly young age. Otherwise, <laughs> it's far more exciting to them when they reach the legal age and they're out with their friends. Um, you know, human beings don't like being told no, I, and I, so I can relate to this. So yeah, I grew up. My, my dad's a children's dentist, so I grew up being denied sweets, um, candy, and chocolate. More of my mother than anything else, because she was like, "You're the son of a dentist. You have to live to a certain standards." My dad was like, "You know, in moderation with meals and brush your teeth." My mum was very hardline, mm. and then I was 16 years old, and I had a debit card, and Coach Kingdom round the corner had pick a mix. <laughs> so, um, oops, <laughs> and I have to really control myself when they put a big yeah. Um, so this is my point. Bit of sweets on the shower's table. This is exactly moderation my point. is absolutely necessary. Exactly, this is exactly my point, and this is why actually sometimes I one argument why you know one of the things that happens in marriage is you have nidda where the the couple don't touch for a bit mm. the 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 um inability that they're creating a bit of distance they're being told no for a little bit actually creates more desire and can sometimes can be, i mean i saw ted talk about this and it wasn't talking about nidda but it said one of the things we need for desire is sometimes a bit of distance as well from time to time to keep 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 the thing going so so again thinking no we're just going to be absolutely 100% off limits, ban it all. You think that's going to work? You think that's, that people think that's just the easy solution in all kinds of ways, in, especially in, you know, religiously conservative circles. It often doesn't work. Mm. So balance is like, is the name of the game. Well, pushing to the other side of balance, mm. how does one measure himself that they don't, don't go too extreme in terms of the progressive forward thinking, gain something new, add something new and a build and build and build and build and build. How does one... When done in a healthy way, fantastic. But it can be done in a 
unhealthy manner to the extent that in terms of what in terms of doing what someone can be so obsessed onto building onto their their growth and their Judaism beforehand that they'll take anything as as a means to right they'll go too fast go too fast or too far too far and too fast because too fast can lead it to be well you're skipping necessary steps yeah yeah. And you're skipping steps that you need on your journey, and then you're building up a very um, hollow yeah. tower of oneself that can easily be knocked down. I think the point is in the same way that if you try and suppress too much, you'll end up swinging the other way. If you try and go too far or too fast the other way, everything will end up kind of smacking back in your face, mm. um, whether it's from others or to yourself. You know, we had to take 50 days to get to Mount Sinai, it didn't just happen straight away, and even then we fell dramatically afterwards. Um, so, uh, and also it's, this is the importance of having a community. Community also acts as a, uh, non, uh, an, an unofficial kind of, uh, sounding board and, um, c- creates, you know, a bit, a bit like you have like an academic consensus, mm. you know, Jewish communities, they do this. And that's why the word evolution keeps coming up. You know, we do things at a, at a, Sometimes you need people to be a bit disruptive and push the boundaries a little bit, but they can see from the response of others how far they can go. You know, if you try and go too far, too fast, just the other people won't come along with you. So, um, it's not it's not sustainable. Yeah, and that's also I mean, the importance of having a having a mentor, a rav, a seder, a rav, make for yourself a rabbi or rebbetzin or whatever it is. Um, other also says don't separate yourself from the community. Absolutely, and this is one of the reasons because you need a, a, the checks and balances to make. Yeah, sure. which doesn't mean you can't try and call mm. for change within your community. Yeah. But just balance. Hesitancy can be a great skill. Yeah. I was reading recently, it was um, a commentary on the first, the start of Pirkei from Rubain Yonah, where it says judges, um, you have to have to deliberate in their judgment. And why? One of the reasons given is that every single judgment, even if you have, you believe with 100% certainty that you are correct on the first go, if you always go by your impulse, your first judgment, you will make mistakes and you will sin. To the extent he goes that even if you are correct, if you got to that conclusion purely on your first judgment, mm-hmm. that is an error within itself. That just to go on an impulse and to, to keep chasing after next high can be open oneself up to risk. Mm-hmm. But if one pauses, deliberates, assesses, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I really trying to grow and gain? Am, am, I, am I seeking after this new thing because it's the necessary next stage that I've earned? Mm-hmm. Or more new is exciting and I want to get there. And uh, I, w- I want to rush ahead. I want to join up with that group ahead of me. There mm-hmm. is are we are we getting there authentically, or are, are we are we rushing ahead? Friends, a rabbi, a community, patience, pausing, if necessary. Again, it comes down to balance, doesn't it? It's always this word balance is key because there's so much to say about. Um, in in Judaism and in some of our stories about the importance of taking your time but there's also the importance of not waiting too long because otherwise you can end up uh, missing the boat so again you know whether it was the brothers or going insane yeah yeah whether it's so on the one hand the brothers and Joseph if you notice over time their plan of what they want to do with him becomes less and less severe which shows that with time you start to kick in your more thoughtful analytical moral mind perhaps mm. um but on the other hand um so so but but it was too late because they ended up you know selling him had they just given it a bit more time maybe they would have had even more rahmanas and let him uh, let him uh, just come back home with them um so the point there is you know to to to, to wait before making a decision but on the other hand, there's this concept of you know, if not now, when, mm. you know. So again, I just think this this word balance is key. And uh, I believe in it very strongly as a, as a, as a Jewish principle. Um, uh, it's, and it's just it's, it's part of the natural order of things, as I say, when you're whether it comes to cooking, whether it comes to gardening and whether it comes to moral decisions as well. Mm. To wrap it up, I mean, it's it's a key philosophy of uh, Maimonides, the Rambam, and his writing to the Mishnah Torah, he, what we describe as the middle path, that a person should not be in all areas of, of observance. He shouldn't be too happy or too sad. He shouldn't be too strict in some areas and too lean to others. 
rather there's a, there's a place for everything. It reminds me also of the, the famous line within uh, Kaheles, which is in, in English, Ecclesiastes. Yeah, Ecclesiastes. I'm never going to go on pronouncing that one. But that there's a time for sadness, time for happiness. There's a, there's a time for everything. Everything is necessary. And yet, if we go too far to one extreme, we uh, open ourselves up to, to slip and to fall. But to gain and to grow with moderation, with the right safeguards, with the right sounding boards and with the right authentic intentions can only breed success except he had one exception you know what that was rum rum yeah. anger was yeah it? yeah anger is the exception why we'll, why? Leave, we'll leave that for another podcast okay <laughs> thank you very much thanks sam Thank you for joining us today and listening to JTV Podcasts. You can find more podcasts from JTV, including interviews with Rabbi Manis Friedman, Dennis Prager, Rabbi Dr. Kiva Tatz, and many more, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Just search for JTV Podcasts with Ollie Hannesfield. Don't forget to subscribe from the JTV YouTube channel for hundreds of videos on Jewish philosophy, Israel, Jewish wisdom, and much, much more. Please consider supporting us so we can continue to grow. Just visit paypal.me forward slash JTV channel. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.